Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Recently, I was watching a, a news uh, program on the television or a, comp- uh, a, a program uh, commenting on some of the events that were happening, and it was about um, people who were scamming people in the area of uh, fortune-telling or telling the, the future. And essentially what um, was happening was they would have these little booths where they advertised that they could, you know, tell the future. And there were people that were very concerned about what was going to happen or uh, about their children, what was going to happen to their children. And what would happen is that the um, the the people would go into these uh, the place of these shysters, and the shysters would say, "Oh, look, yeah, there's something really bad is going to happen. Um, there's a you know a curse on you. Um, you'll have to do this, uh, but we can get rid of the curse for you, but it will cost you two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars." And so they were. Uh, and people were paying they were uh, this money to these people and the people would go through some sort of um, rigmarole to, and claim that they had removed the curse and changed the, the future. I think down through uh, you know, history, people have always you know, wanted to, uh, to know the future. People, we um, have uh, the account in the Bible of... Uh, king Saul, the first king of Israel, going and, and visiting a, a witch, hoping to um, know the the future. We know also that uh, during the Second World War, um, Hitler wanted to uh, consult mediums and find out to, to make decisions what would be the the best way to go to to know the future. And, uh, of course, many popular magazines and newspapers have these horoscopes where people are looking to the, the stars to know the, the future. Of course, most uh, scientists would say, well, you know, all this stuff is, is hokey-pokey, but there is actually a science uh, related to knowing the future, and it's called forecasting. And most of us are, are familiar with uh, the weather forecast. Uh, maybe we look it up on the internet, on one of the web, uh, weather websites, um, or maybe we watch it uh, uh, after the news on television or, or something to know what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Is it going to be sunny or rainy and so forth? And this is forecasting. And forecasting pays a... A role in um, you know in in many areas, people try to forecast uh, economic changes, uh, try to uh, you know forecast change, changes in prices of different commodities, from coal and oil, um, um, you know, and things like this, wheat, and and this is part of um, ev- everyday business as as people try to. Uh, to understand what prices are going to do and whether they should uh, buy at a particular time. Uh, Forecasting also plays a role in 
trying to um, determine sales for a, for a company, for example. So if you're a manufacturer and you're manufacturing a product, you need to uh, – that is distributed, say, to a large number of stores or outlets uh, throughout a country or throughout the world – um, you need to be able to forecast demand for your product and so that you know or and maybe you, you manufacture certain items at certain times, need to be able to forecast what is going to be the demand for those uh, particular items at certain times so that you have enough uh, raw materials or raw ingredients or... Um, components to assemble, you have enough stock on hand to supply the demand. And there are a number of computer programs have been uh, developed that um, uh, people uh, use to, um, to try and forecast uh, what is going to happen. And this is based on human behaviour, often based on previous sales data's, uh, data and may be related to uh, the time of year. People may buy things or use things more at certain times of the year than others or it may be something that's temperature-related or climate-related uh, in some way. So scientists certainly look at, uh, mathematicians look at um, ways of knowing the, the future and uh, one of the uh, areas that um, is actually related to evolution actually is, is about um, a man by the name of uh, Robert Fitzroy. And uh, many regard him as the pioneer of weather forecasting. And he was uh, born in 1805 and um, was the captain of the HMS Beagle. Now, the HMS Beagle, of course, was the ship that Darwin went on when he made his voyage um, partly around the world and at that time developed, in his mind at least, or began the, the whole concept of the, the theory of evolution. And this is very interesting because... Um, it was actually uh, Fitzroy who gave Darwin a copy of Lyell's book that um, was uh, had outlined the um, his whole concept that there was not a worldwide flood, but rather gradual processes over millions of years had formed the um, the the various formations in the in the earth and this was um, um, of course when Darwin was given this book by uh, Fitzroy he read it uh, on the, the the voyage and of course this gave Darwin the framework of of long ages on which to base his theory of evolution. So it gave him the, the long ages to allow for this whole concept of mutations gradually um, over a long, long period of time as animals bred, plants bred, that they slowly change organisms bred and they slowly produce the um, different um, 
uh, species according to the theory of evolution. So it's it's really quite um, ironic that it was uh, Fitzroy um, that gave Darwin this book, and it was actually one of Fitzroy's um, regrets, uh, Robert Fitzroy's uh, regrets, because um, he was actually a strong creationist. He believed in Genesis. He believed that Genesis was correct. He believed that there was overall... Um, a um, whole lot of evidence for the global flood and that this um, explained uh, a lot of the uh, structures. Um, it's interesting. Fitzroy is quite a, quite a clever person. Matter of fact, at only the age of 23 uh, years of age, Fitzroy was given his first commission as captain of the HMS Beagle. And so it's a very young age to be given the um, command of a ship like that, which was um, a 28-metre, 214-tonne sailing ship. Um, Of course, it was quite a few years later in 1831 that he set out on his famous voyage voyage with uh, Charles uh, Darwin. And um, Fitzroy um, was... um, uh, uh, was sort of a friend of uh, Darwin, and uh, he took uh, Darwin along. Was interested in having someone who was also a fellow intellectual along on the um, on the trip there. But Fitzroy spent most of his time on that trip actually uh, surveying and um, uh, and studying uh, ocean currents and um, and winds and and so forth and. Um, Fitzroy also on this uh, trip wanted someone to make the scientific observations about the plants and animals in the places that they uh, would visit. And so that's one of the reasons why he invited Darwin along. Um, And, of course, Darwin was um, uh, an expert on uh, beetles as well. And uh, he'd been, Darwin had actually been recommended to Captain Fitzroy by a professor of botany at Cambridge, John Henslow. So that's how the two meet up. So it's, it's quite interesting that uh, Fitzroy, who was really a, a very strong Christian, um, when he began actually the voyage, he um, had some doubts about Genesis and the universe and that the flab was well rod. So this was Fitzroy himself had a little bit of doubt initially. But during his observations on the voyage of uh, the Beagle, um, he actually, as he observed these structures all around the world, these layers of rock all around the world that were similar, he came to realise that the... um, the flood must have been worldwide. And this is quite interesting because at this time as Fitzroy was confirming his faith in the Bible, Darwin at the same time on the same ship was thinking about how in actual fact life could have, uh, proposing that life had evolved over a long uh, millions of years period of time. So here we had Fitzroy who understood the days of creation as literal 24-hour days. Um, And um, 
um, and was a, a very strong supporter of the Bible. And of course, um, later Fitzroy's faith in the Bible was encouraged by his wife Mary, who, who was also a, a very strong uh, Christian. One of the arguments for the global flood that Fitzroy used was as he looked at the nature of the shells in South America there uh, at the depth of water and the the, the, the mashed up shells and, and this sort of thing they saw in the different um, deposits that they uh, came across, he felt that there must have been a great force that had um, broken up these shells and then forced the, the rocks together in the, the layers and of course, this was all over the um, um, the uh, world. Also, he he considered that um, it was absurd that man had arisen from um, some uh, other primitive animals like um, apes. Uh, when he when Fitzroy saw the South American Indians and. Um, their hair colour and so forth, he felt that it was very obvious that people all around the world had descended from the original couple of um, Adam and Eve. In fact, um, Robert Fitzroy was also present at the famous and and often misrepresented uh, debate between Bishop Wilberforce and and Thomas Huxley. And um, it's reported that um, he, um, during... Uh, that debate or the, after the debate he held this is uh, Fitzroy held his Bible aloft and stated quote he regretted the publication of Mr Darwin's book and denied Professor Huxley's statement that it was a logical arrangement of the facts um, another thing that um, I found out on reading this quite interesting article about uh, Robert Fitzroy was that um, in 1843, he was appointed the governor of New Zealand and he was um, uh, well known later for dealing very justly with the rights of the Maori people, um, including the right to, for maximum benefit from the sale of their land if they desired. So it's... Um, Quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, Fitzroy made a lot of observations of um, gales around Cape Horn and um, this led to the uh, design of um, an improved barometer and he wrote um, the, a book called The Weather Book which was first published in uh, 1858 and that became a manual for forecasting changes in the weather, I thought this was this was really interesting. This science of um, of forecasting and the connection with the development of the the theory of evolution and how people can look at the same same thing, the same rocks and and fossil evidence, and one can see that um, this is. Um, evidence for the global flood and biblical creation and uh, someone else at the same time can see, no, this fits into millions of years and, um, and, and again, develop this idea 
that mutations slowly changed and developed all the species at that time. I, I find it quite fascinating. Of course, now that we know so much about uh, DNA, it, um, we know now that evolution is absolutely impossible. Evolution, random mutations, uh, by chance, can't produce the complexity uh, the working complexity of human organisms and the amazing structures and interconnectedness that we have of the various parts today. We have the overwhelming evidence now that evolution is absolutely impossible. And also, as well, we, we know now that the Earth had a catastrophic past, that there were major um, extinction events that occurred caused by water that wiped out um, the animals, so we have this now. But one of the fascinating things that comes out of this too is that science can know the future, but only on the basis of observing what has happened at the present time and then extrapolating that into the future. Where science falls down is in the area of what we call chaos theory, in other words, there are random reactions that can happen that totally change situations. And a classic example of this would be, for example, people that were making forecasts about um, economic demand, oil use, coal use, energy use, different food supply things. And then suddenly you have the intervention of the uh, COVID-19 virus, which suddenly changes a whole lot of things. Human behaviour has changed, people's buying patterns are changed, people's movement patterns are changed. A whole lot of things happen just very uh, quickly that, again, couldn't have been predicted uh, so much just from other stands. Now, of course, uh, there, in actual fact, there were um, suggested predictions um, that, uh, for example, a, a deadly type of virus could somehow be released into the human environment and people made scenarios of how prepared would people be for that uh, sort of thing. And again, this is a, a very uh, mechanical uh, view of things. But when we look at things, um, it's more in chaos theory, there's a, uh, a ditty, then it goes something like this. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For loss of the rider, the battle was lost. In other words, the just a, a little thing like a uh, a poorly put in shoe which led to the shoe coming off the horse of the rider that was taking an important message maybe to a general in a battle led to the battle being lost. So some minor insignificant uh, thing can occur like that that is very difficult to predict um, and we can't know. But it's interesting, as we read the Bible, God talks about how he reveals and establishes himself as the God, as the creator God, and as the God whom we can know by revealing the future. 
And this is what he talks about, um, and uh, Isaiah talks about this in, you know, around chapters 44 and 45 of Isaiah there. He talks about that. How This is how you can know me, in that I will reveal the future to you. And, of course, Isaiah um, is famous for his uh, prophecies describing what would happen to Jesus, the messianic prophecies. But also Isaiah in uh, the later chapters of the book of Isaiah, particularly Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 60, chapter 66, he talks about that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And I think this is, this is very, very encouraging and a very important aspect of understanding the, the future and that God is in control. We don't necessarily have to know the future, but it's good to know that God is in control. See, Hitler wanted to know the future because he wanted to stay in control. And he was looking for, you know, God to make the best decisions so that he could stay in control. But God reveals himself as being a person who is control and he has been in control all the way along because when we read even right back down in in Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, God predicted that even though uh, the devil and his angels have been cast down to earth, that God had a plan and that eventually the devil would be destroyed. And there would be an end to all these sin and problems in the earth. Another amazing prophecy, of course, mentioned by Cyrus, is the coming of Cyrus, who would free the people from from Babylon, that this would be a man that would be raised up. And, of course, this was written 150 years or so before Cyrus was born. And Cyrus became that leader, of course, that liberated Um, God's people at the time, Israel, that had been held captive in in Babylon. And um, we have the uh, account there, the amazing account of how Cyrus himself was was preserved uh, according to the uh, traditions. Um, He he should have been murdered and and killed as a baby. But um, according to the traditions, he he was preserved and uh, raised and um, and grew up to become the 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 king and uh, lead the the armies there and led the Persian army very successfully into um, uh, to capture Babylon and also he was very kind to the to the uh, Jewish people there and of course uh, and and fulfilled the prophecy that the temple would be rebuilt. So God had given a number of prophecies there in the Bible. We also have the the prophecies in Daniel related to Jesus' coming at the time. And here we have these time prophecies uh, that span very long periods of time that relate to exactly the time when Jesus would come as the Messiah. And so when we look at knowing the future in terms of the future, science can tell us things such as, you know, we're doing massive amounts of environmental damage. 
that are going to threaten life on Earth. They can tell us about the rate at which uh, animal life is becoming extinct, and in particular insect life, for example. Um, I think I mentioned it recently that um, about 25% of the uh, insects that, uh, of population has become extinct in the last 15, 20 years or so. Um, and so science can tell us these things that here we have these particular trends, these things are happening, and there are all all these warning signs pointing as, uh, to um, a, a major um, environmental catastrophic event for for the earth as we see uh, a number of um, environmental um, issues are arising with deforestation, pollution of the oceans, uh, plastic nanoparticles in our oceans, which I imagine are going to be very difficult to clean up, um, the destruction of the ozone layer um, that ha- has occurred and the increased radiation um, on uh, Earth as a, as a result of that that again affects ecosystems, um, just the Earth's population of, of humans and feeding the Earth's population, having enough water, uh, particularly fresh water, all these issues. And while scientists are working flat out to try and solve and reverse some of these issues and and encourage people to change their behaviour to uh, to try and reverse that and, and uh, preserve as much as possible the quality of life on Earth, we see at the same time the evidence all around us of good and evil. We see even, even times of crisis, such as during the time of the COVID-19 crisis, there were people that uh, did bad things during that time, brought out the, the bad aspects of people, taking advantage of others. At the same time, it brought out the in other people the really good side of them, their generosity, their helpfulness and thinking of other uh, side of things. And so we see this conflict between good and evil and that's exactly what the Bible talks about, has been there all along. The Bible, of course, calls it sin. But I find it so encouraging that God has proved himself with so many uh, predictions and prophecies in the Bible. I remember when I was first becoming a Christian, that was one of the things that I looked up. I used, as I came across the property prophecies in the Bible, I would go to the encyclopedias and look up what actually happened to that town, you know, where God prophesied what would happen to Tyre or what would happen to Sidon, to these different towns, what would happen to Babylon, what would happen to these different places and these different people. And all the time, each time I looked it up in the encyclopedia, there it was verified. And I think we have this tremendous hope that just as all these prophecies where God revealed the future, and there are hundreds of prophecies. I have an encyclopedia of Bible prophecy at home now. I think there's about 700 Bible prophecies in there. Most of them have been fulfilled accurately. And the ones that haven't relate to the future all were conditional. And I think this gives us great hope when we have those passages, as I said, in Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66 and in uh, Revelation uh, 21, that God 
he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And also in the book of Peter, Peter's books, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth for us. And we can be there as we accept Jesus as our saviour. I encourage you to read these prophecies in the Bible. Remember, you can listen to these uh, programs by just Googling uh, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 